Hey everyone, it's Heather. I'm so excited about our new resource for single women, Authentically You. One of the most challenging parts of life is navigating relationships. This can be especially true for women who have been tainted by negative sexual experiences and mistakes from their past, or when the struggle with porn and masturbation takes hold and won't let go. This leaves them feeling distant from God, separated by the weight of shame and regret. If this is you, you're not alone. Authentically You was written specifically for single and college-aged women, those who are on the working career path and those who are in college. This 20-lesson curriculum is easily adaptable to a busy work schedule or a college semester system. Through this group experience, you'll explore how your past pain and trauma contribute to distorted beliefs and an unhealthy thought life. You'll uncover the role your family of origin plays in your past and current behaviors and address the issues that perpetuate compulsive and addictive patterns. And through the use of weekly exercises, strategic tools, and self-care focus, you'll learn how to live in health, how to live as your true, authentic self. I know God has a plan for your life to bring you to a place of health and wholeness. If you allow it, God will do amazing things in you and through you. So pre-order today, Authentically You. Go to puredesire.org A-Y. That's puredesire.org A-Y. You're listening to the Pure Desire Podcast, your safe place to find hope, healing, and freedom from sexual addiction, betrayal, and relationship issues. Hello, hello. I'm your host, Trevor Windsor, and you're listening to episode 150. We've made it to 150 of the Pure Desire Podcast. Here joining me, as you can already hear, is my co-host, Nick Stumbo. To be or not to be. That is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or take arms against a sea of troubles <laughs> and by opposing end them. To die, to sleep, no more. Uh, Hamlet. Shakespeare. Yes, very good. Excellent uh, work. I would have been more impressed if I didn't see the notes that you've written some of it down. I only um, knew the first three lines that or right. take arms against a sea of troubles. That there you go. I always forget that one. I like I'm not I mean, I like to read a lot, but Shakespeare is not someone I'm like, man, I'm so pumped to just sit down and read old English and yeah, do all it, that. It makes your brain hurt. <laughs> the closest version I think is the New King James version of the Bible. Exactly. Uh, which I also don't read that version. Um, okay, so uh, we'll maybe get into a little bit of, of your intro here in a minute. But we did a deep dive today into a really difficult reality of sexual addiction. Um, we get to hear from Jen Howie uh, on it. But a couple couple quick things. If you subscribe to the podcast, uh, that would mean a lot to us. It also makes sure that you're getting the new episodes as they come out each week. We're on all the major platforms. And if you give us a review, it helps other people see the podcast. And also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pure Desire PDMI. And if you like to consume video content, we've got clips of these episodes up on YouTube. Just search Pure Desire Ministries. So we sat down with Jen, who is our executive assistant, uh, and a very valuable member of our team. We love having her here. And we really jumped into her story of uh, being the betrayed spouse and then the story of really her husband and the legal issues that were involved in all of that. Yeah, and kind of like my uh, podcast intro there, we, my wife and I went to a high school play last weekend that was um, the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged. And yeah. it's a very lighthearted, satirical, even crass um, kind of compilation of his works. And, and I just thought about that's kind of what in this podcast for some people they may wrestle with like, oh, that, you know, this is very 
touchy sacred ground like you shouldn't even go there and i think some people probably felt that when they saw the shakespeare play because they thought it was gonna be shakespeare like they were probably offended by <laughs> they called him bill shakespeare rather than yeah there, and there's a lot of yeah. like i said pretty crass uh, humor in it but but anyway I, I think there's just the truth that when something is heavy and difficult our tendencies to avoid it but it actually leaves it heavy and difficult and can get people really stuck in something that uh, there, there is hope and there is a pathway through, but we've yeah. got to be able to talk about it. And so I think that um, Jen telling her story, I mean, obviously she's at a point and listeners will hear this, you know, she's 15 years down the road. And so she's not in the middle of the emotion yeah. and the turmoil anymore, yep. but it, it also gives perspective to look back and say, I, I've been there and I remember it and here's what I've learned. And yep. so we don't in any way mean to at any point make light or act like, oh, this is no big deal, but yeah. it, it's rather the opposite because mm-hmm. we see how serious it can be. And we hope we can provide some kind of very practical, just normal thoughts and guidance of how to walk through something like this. I think too, it's important to say that if if your story does not involve legal stuff or you're not a betrayed spouse, this episode still has value because there are probably people in your life who have or might experience things like this or in your church community. Um, and so understanding that this can also be an educational piece in your toolkit could be really big. Yeah. And I think for every listener, it'll help us think through how do I deal with the messy, painful stuff that I'd rather just avoid or act like wasn't there? Because I think that would have been Jen's temptation. Like, I'm just going to bury that part of my yep. story and never talk about it again. Yep. And the fact that it's a major part of her testimony now, mm-hmm. it's because she faced it. So all of us, all of us will have those parts of our story that we'd rather bury. Yep. But I think if we allow God and others to help us look at them, there's incredible fruit yeah, that comes and, of it. And she is great and super honest. So I think you guys are really going to get a lot out of the episode. So here it is. Jan, thanks for being with us again today. Thanks for having me. Glad to like, be here. I feel like we've had you on quite a bit recently. Oh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Is this her first time though without Dan? It is. Is it? Because it'll probably be a lot better then. Ooh. Get rid of the dead weight. <laughs> <laughs> oh Wait, don't tell him I said that. Shots <laughs> fired. Um, okay, well, I'm glad we that we're Dan. lighthearted now because <laughs> we're doing a pretty deep dive into your story, which yeah. there is a lot, as yeah. you were just even saying before the show. Um, but we want to dive into your first marriage, understand um, the experience you had. There were some legal issues that were at play in this realm of sexual addiction. And so um, we want to really come alongside any spouse, whether it's male or female, that has a situation where their spouse uh, is involved in sexual addiction or some sort of sexual brokenness and there are legal ramifications for it. Yeah. Um, and as you said, um, even being on staff, the limited time that you have been, there's a lot of people who have this experience. And mm-hmm. so we want to kind of dive into it, even though it's going to be heavy. Yeah. Um, but even as you reminded us before the episode started, it's okay to also have this be conversational yep. and to um, really approach this with with hope, not just despair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, let's just dive right in okay. and give us a little bit of background on really what took place in your first marriage. Okay. Well, I feel like this whole thing has been 15 years in the making. So my palms are sweaty and I'm feeling super warm. <laughs> and it's funny because I have been um, telling the story for 15 years. And for some reason today, I just feel like that 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 God's going to do something bigger with it. Cool. And um, after being employed here, I've, I've seen that this isn't, this is an issue that reaches far and wide. So thanks for um, letting me tell this story. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I hope is that, that it'll bring some hope and healing to others. So just a little bit of background. I met my first husband 
when I was in eighth grade, he lived next door and I was looking out the window and he, he was moving in and um, I said, ah, oh, that's, that's the boy I'm going to marry. And, wow. and I just knew, I just knew. And eighth grade. Eighth grade, right? So, so prophetic. I know. Grade. And so discerning, right? So anyway, um, so we, we uh, dated through high school. He was a football star and a track star and I was a cheerleader, just your typical sort of movie scenario. Mm -hmm. The all-American story. Yeah, and you had those breakups off and on, sure, you know, um, through high school. And um, when I was 19, um, we were in one of our broke-up times, and um, I met this guy, and this guy had uh, drugged my drink. And um, when he did, um, he... He essentially date raped me. I woke, I woke up in the middle of it taking wow. place. I wasn't able to move my limbs, but mm -hmm. I was fully aware of what was taking place. But I couldn't speak. I couldn't move. And um, that experience made it so that I never wanted to date. I'm like, okay, I will never date. Yep. Um, I want to be with someone who I know their background. Um, because if I were to go into the dating world, there'd be no way that I'd know what people were made of. So my assumption was that um, what, I, what I wanted was safe and predictable. And my assumption was is that this boy that I had gone to high school with and had been with, you know, for all these years um, would be that safe and predictable yeah. person. Mm -hmm. And so I married sure. my high school sweetheart. And um, I was just short of just about 20 years old um, when that took place. And we had two boys, and he was a great dad, and um, it really, people, you know, say don't get married young, and um, but we were just proving them wrong, and we were happy to be doing that because right. we, yes. we were just nailing this whole marriage thing. It was going so, so well, but about five years into the marriage, um, he had confessed that he had had an affair with the babysitter, mm -hmm. and... Um, and so obviously that was really hard, and there are many de details that went into that. Um, but fast forward, I'm going to try to not say fast forward a bunch in this. Okay. You can just, you know, sure. slap me Yeah, we get that. There's, well, there's, there's a lot me, of details. Let me jump in really quick. Did you see signs of that? Absolutely not. Okay. Okay. So no, huge shock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of water. I mean, yeah, hindsight is 2020, but Kay. at the time. I didn't. My trust was so fully intact that it just, right. that would never happen. Not yeah. to him. Yeah. Maybe to somebody else, but not him. Sure. And certainly not to us. So we moved, we just, we were in California at the time, and then we moved to Oregon. And then about two years into living in Oregon, um, we discovered, I didn't discover, actually my younger son discovered a pornography, mm -hmm. asked, what does daddy do in front of the computer? And I, my jaw just dropped open because at this time it was dial-up days. Yeah. So the whole online pornography thing Very wasn't different. as... Super different. <laughs> super yeah. different, yep. you know. It, it took a high commitment level. It really did. Because of, you it did a lot, lot of work. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? I, because I've you been had, there. Yeah. So the, you had to, you were either on the phone or on the computer in those days. You couldn't be, it was yep. one or the other. Yep. So anyway, um, so that was when I first discovered, okay, there's a, we have a sexual issue here before, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't really sure what was going on, but right. now there's a sexual problem. And um, I would try to bring it up and talk about it, and he would say that I was throwing it in his face, and I wasn't being forgiving, mm. and I, I wanted to be a good, forgiving Christian wife. I wanted yeah. to prove to people that our marriage was going to make it, and so I just really did what I thought a good Christian wife would do, and I just swept it under the rug, you know. Yeah. Um, that would be supporting him, and I didn't want to out him, and, yeah. and those kinds yeah. of things. 
Well, um, he was really well loved and respected in our community and in our church, um, in our family. He was he was the guy that I would have friends come up to me and say, "Hey, I just I cannot wait to when my daughter gets married. I want her to marry someone just like your husband." I mean, super mm. well respected. Yeah, wow. And he was a really great dad, super involved, and just a great great dad. Mm. So um, three years later. I'm not going to say fast forward. I just did. Okay. Good, three years good. later, um, um, on July 10th of 2005, um, we, they were getting ready to uh, take a trip to California and two cop cars pulled up and an un, um, like an unidentified car pulled up mm-hmm. and police walk down into the driveway and they, I'm assuming they're looking for somebody, some bad guy that's yeah. maybe in the neighborhood and didn't realize that bad guy would actually end up being my spouse because they asked for him by name. And I'm like, well, that's really weird. They asked for my husband by name. That's weird. Yeah. And so they, they um, take him around the corner and have a conversation with him. Meanwhile, this this other cop is standing by me and this other woman, I don't know what her role is at this time, is standing mm-hmm. by me and comes back around the corner and he says, um, I, I, I'm gonna, uh, I have some questions I need to answer for them. I'm like, what's going on? And he can't really say anything. And so he, the cop takes him down the street and around the corner. What, what I didn't know at the time was he was actually arresting him around the corner so that my kids didn't see hmm, wow. their father being arrested, which was so kind. Cause my boys were seven and 10 at the time. And, um, hmm. So they leave, and then this other woman and this cop is standing there, and um, the boys run up to the car. They're like, where's Daddy going? And I said, he's, he's going with the police to answer some questions. And my older son at the time, a 10-year-old, is like, looks at his little brother and says, oh, Dad's going to help the cops. He's going to help the bad guys. Dad's so awesome. And they take off running. And I'm like, you know, my heart's just racing because I'm like, this isn't really what's taking place here. So I ask what's going on. And the woman says there's been allegations of sexual abuse. Mm. And um, and I'm thinking back to maybe the gal that he kind of, the babysitter mm-hmm. that he had had an affair with, and that wasn't the case. Um, he had been sexually abusing minors. And, wow. um, and none of us obviously knew that. And mm-hmm. so um, the woman standing there was actually from CPS, and she says, now, Jennifer, um, you you need to go get your boys and you need to tell them to to come with me. And Jeez. and the cop's standing there and I have this realization that if I don't listen to her, that guy's there for me. And that I'll be arrested if I don't if I don't comply. And of course I start to cry and freak out. And she says, calm down, calm down, calm down. If you're not calm, your boys aren't gonna be calm. They need to know that you're okay. You need wow. to go get them and tell them to come with us. So I go into the house, grab the boys, tell them to go with the lady. They get in the car, the cop drives away, lady drives away with my kids, and I'm standing in my driveway hmm. without a husband and without my children. And in that moment, I realize, holy smokes everything has changed. And I don't know what it is. I don't know the details of anything at this point. I just know that everything has changed Mm. in my entire life. So um, I call my friend immediately. I'm like, I don't know what to do. And what do I do? What do I do? She lives in Salem. And uh, we lived in Bend at the time. And so she's a couple hours away. And she's like, don't think, don't think, just clean. 
just 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 go clean like go go into the bathroom Cover it with something like, yeah 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 just clean i'm on my way i'm getting in my car i'm pulling my stuff together just yeah. just start cleaning don't think don't overanalyze just clean 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 so that was her advice which <laughs> i thought was actually excellent because it really gave me something to do because something i was shaking and just I, collapsing on right. yourself right yeah. what do you do with that in, the, in those moments so it was actually quite quite brilliant of her to do that so of course there's several details that are involved in 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 part of that story but um those were the moments that that led me to um just telling this story in general and and then what's to come so and essentially what it came down to was um he had been abusing um a couple of a a couple of children um he had been ended up being sentenced to 20 years in prison and and we'll walk through this a little bit through the podcast, but there was it was very 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 public. Um, there wasn't a lot going on in Bend at the time, so we were top of the news for two mm-hmm. months. But then from July to November to when he was sentenced, um, there was just that follow up with the news, and there was it was just so very very public. Wow. So walking with our kids through that, and um, walking with our community through that um, was a huge part hmm. of of the story. So yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this is traumatic as your life changes on that day. Mm -hmm. And I think as any parent, their mind goes to, well, how do I help my kids through this season also? So tell us a little bit about that. I mean, obviously your your boys saw their dad being taken away, but that's only part one of actually eventually hearing about what he had done or why he's going to prison. And um, so just tell us a little bit about how you processed that with your boys um, and did any of his... I'm sure the question listeners are thinking through is like, boy, if their dad was sent to prison for abusing minors, did any of those behaviors extend into his own family? Right. Or how did how do you even find? I mean, because I'm thinking as a dad, like, do you even want to know that? And but yet you have to know, like, right. did he do things inappropriate to our kids? So yeah. and that is process the first that question, side with your yeah, kids. That's the first question people ask me, and I always found it to be nervy when people would say, "Well, did he do it to your kids?" Well, it doesn't matter because he did it to somebody's kids, even if yeah. they weren't mine. Yeah. But but I understand the curiosity. There was so much curiosity behind that. So um, so yeah, my boys they knew because they had seen him leave, but they didn't. They thought he was be helping the police, right? <laughs> and um, so what they obviously had been taken by CPS. CPS had interviewed them. And so they knew a lot of the content because of the drawings they had to do. And they were separated and they were brought together and then the process of going through that. So by the time, um, by the time I finally got my kids back, which, which, which was by the end of the day, by the way, um, felt like a week, but, um, by the time I got them back, they had a little bit of background. And, um, by the time the, um, investigator had investigated me. Um, he had told me, okay, you know, this is, this is going to be on the news. And little did I know that you can actually request for it to be held for 24 hours before it hits the news. So I requested that. And, um, that gave me 24 hours to sit down with the boys. And essentially I just, I remember that moment, just cuddled up on a chair, one in each arm and just explained that daddy, daddy wasn't coming home. He had, he had done some things to some children um, that, that were bad. And now he has to have the consequences of, of that. And so he's not going to be coming home. And at seven and 10, you can't give too much 
context. And at this point, I didn't even fully know. I knew yeah, that mm-hmm. he had admitted to everything and, and then some. Um, and it hadn't happened to my children. And the polygraph confirmed that, you know, he hadn't done anything to my kids. And, of course, my kids confirmed that mm-hmm. they hadn't he hadn't done anything to them. But, yes, that did go through my head. And so um, so just processing with them in, in little minute amounts, keeping the TV off because it was all over the news, but because it was a smaller town, you know, 15 years ago, it was so public. Mm-hmm. And they drug our church through the mud. And um, they tried to take the Jesus factor and say that, you know, yeah. just twist right. Christianity in yep. the process of it all. So yep. walking with them wasn't just walking with them through losing their dad, but through the questions that they would get and protecting them in the process. So. Um, we, we had a spokesperson ready to go, um, on our behalf cause you get phone calls saying, you know, right. um, can we have an interview please? Yeah. So protecting them, um, through that was a process through, you know, they're now in their twenties. So, um, as they continued to learn more and more and more, there were different levels of processing that my kids had to yeah. go through. Initially it was just the loss of a father. Right. And then, um, of course there's a lot of trauma that goes with that. Um, but it's then, like a, it felt, it feels like it, there's like the staggered effect yes. of it though. Yeah. As oh, you yeah. learn more, it's just more trauma and more trauma. And, and even trauma. now, even now that they're in their twenties, that one of my sons is married and now he's processing, I'm going to be a dad someday. Yeah. And, wow. and yeah, so there's just different, like you said, there's yep. a staggered processing yeah. that takes place for them. So, well, and I appreciate the way you're sharing that because I think for so many listeners, whether or not this is their story, probably in their story, they did have uh, maybe a divorce or a separation, or even when um, one of the spouses got exposed in some behavior and they maybe slept in different rooms or one of them left the home for a few yeah. days. Mm-hmm. And, and that question of like, how do we talk with our kids? I think sometimes we feel like, well, you just got to rip the Band-Aid off and tell them everything all at once. And then it's like, we move on. Yeah. And, and there's kind of some of that in our Christian subculture of like, you just deal with it and then you you know, Christ forgives and we forgive and we move on. Yeah. Right? But I think the reality is as kids grow, they're ready to hear different things. And so early on, you know, I didn't tell my five-year-old son, well, you know, daddy's been looking at pornography online and mom's really hurt. And, you know, at a five-year-old level, I could just say dad's made some bad choices mm-hmm. and mom's really angry, but, you know, we're working on it. And 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 yeah. then as he ages, I can, yes. and he, as he asks questions, as our kids are ready, and, and yeah. I think that's what you're saying is, when it was appropriate or when something new came up as a parent, just being ready to be there for your kids yeah. and listen and know where they're at and not yeah. act like, oh, we don't talk about that anymore, right. but yeah. just say, this is our reality and we're going to keep facing it and learning from it and growing. And that, that whether that's, again, whether that's someone's story is like yours or very different, mm-hmm. they've probably faced some of that same process. And yeah. hopefully that's an encouragement to know it's okay to not fix it all at once yeah. <laughs> and to kind of let it be a growing yeah. process. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you said it so much Better than I did. No, Thank I just made so an much. observation no. about what you said. Well, yeah, but, summarizing it. But but you but you're so right, and it's important to not try to fix it all at one time. Yeah, it's important to understand that this that this is a continual process. It's funny. I just remembered when I said Daddy did something bad. My son's first response was, "He didn't drink and drive, did he, Mom? He's ten. He didn't <laughs> yeah. drink yeah. and drive." I'm like, right. no. It was a little bit more that's like, than that. As a 10 year old, that's right. what they know is totally. bad, right? Yes. That's what they've been taught. Right. right. And their biggest concern at that moment was if we were going to get a divorce. And mm. how do I explain to you, your dad's going to prison for 20 years? Like, yeah. divorce is the least of your concerns right now. But yeah. that was their very first concern was if we were going to be divorced. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they probably have had friends that walked through that. And sure. so I think for kids, that is 
a question they're asking is like, what's going to happen to mommy and daddy and their relationship? Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah. I think it's natural that that question comes up. Sure. So, I mean, you guys are obviously we know and have seen historically how the public responds to stuff like this. Mm -hmm. Um, and even more so when it's something from a follower of Jesus, who's in a local church. Mm -hmm. Um, but how did you see your church, your family, your friends, how did they respond when all this came out? Uh, my, my, my friends were amazing. Um, mm. they, wow. I just really have a hard time finding words for how amazing my friends were. You know, we had, um, cards and, meals and visits. And it was interesting because you'll have people show up that you never expected. And then people who you truly expected to be there, they're like out of sight. So, um, and that's okay because everyone's processing and something that big yeah. or even smaller things people have, they, they have to process. And so they process differently. It's hard to be aware of that though, in the moment. Like if you have friends who are close and they're not there, you're not thinking, oh, they're just processing. That's and true. Pro like you're thinking <laughs> you're <right. laughs> where the yeah. expletive are you yeah. to get into my life, like right. get over here. But in the meantime, the people that did stand up and they drove from great distances mm. were so comforting. Yeah. I was so moved by yeah. like my husband's coworker and his wife that came over and stepped in. I'm like, where did you come out of what you, you're amazing friends. Wow, this is this is really, really good. Um, so the my friends took it as well as they could. They mm -hmm. were all grieving the loss of a lot of things. Yeah. There were several things. Um, family was really mostly supportive. Um, my sister came. She paid my mortgage for me because suddenly I had no income Yeah. because mm. um, right. I worked a part-time job, but he was the, mostly the sole provider. Yeah. And so I had Gosh. no way to make it. And so my sister paid my mortgage for me. So if, you know, if you've got financial resources, that's an amazing thing to do for someone. Um, some people took the news harder um, and they processed in less healthy ways and did a lot of projecting onto me and a lot of blaming, um, <laughs> blaming me. Um, but a majority of people didn't necessarily take that route. Um, the media, like I said, took the church through the mud. Um, yeah. Like I said, they left messages and asked for interviews. Um, and people in general were just kind of scared because now this is on the news. It's a little sensationalized. So yeah. our church actually held a um, public forum to discuss what had taken place. And people came, the community came to ask questions. Was this my kid? How do I know that my kid wasn't affected? Mm. And so, um, so the public was involved a little bit more that way. Um, and then you, the, you'd get the looks. You know, because we were sure. small enough of a, of sure. a community that you, you know, people knew who you were. So for the most part, I think most people handled it pretty well. And we'll talk a little bit more about how people supported. And yeah. that to me is, speaks more to what an amazing community I had been a part of. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think that's what we want to kind of head into, because whether or not this is our story, it's likely in the world we live in, that someone you know, whether it be friend or family or your church, is going to go through something really messy. Yeah. And whether legal or not, I think all of us can feel like, I, I don't really understand the situation fully, but I want to help. And mm -hmm. so what what to you was most helpful? Like if mm -hmm. if you could help people see through the awkward, I mean, because it is an awkward situation, Super. right? Like yeah. for everybody. But, but how could people help in a way like what was helpful to you? What was supportive? 
because I think for listeners, then that gives them an idea like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, here are things I could do. I don't yeah. have to just let yeah. the scariness of the legal situation make me sit on the sidelines and yep. do nothing. Right. So what was helpful to you and what might people consider in a situation like this? So there's three things, I think three subjects that I would cover. It would be emotional, physical, and financial. So emotionally, um, you know, I'm speaking of a woman. I realize this could be a man as well, but I'm yeah. speaking from my own experience. Yeah. But so for that context, I'll use the word a woman, but a woman is experiencing the loss of her marriage, the loss of her dreams, the loss of, you know, expectations. She's having a whole year of first, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's a grieving process and just sitting and being present with someone in those moments, um, is, is huge. You don't have to say a word, yeah. just sitting and just, because really what can you say? But the reality yeah. is if you avoid her, um, you're not doing her any favors. You know, mm. she's living this day in and day out from the yeah. very waking moment, probably throughout the night. You wake up, you wake up to this reality over and over and over. And you keep thinking, maybe it's a dream. And then you wake up and you're experiencing it all over again. So this is her reality 24-7. Yeah, so man. don't avoid her. If, you know, be go go to coffee, do normal things. Yeah. Have talk, talk about your own life. Right. Tell her what's going on in your life. Um of course, cards and letters are great. Um, I still have the cards and letters I was given. It's a giant box of cards mm. and letters I'd mm. been given that year and actually just came across a gift card recently, which I'm sure is no longer valid. But <laughs> Hey, still worth a try. Yeah. Pull yeah, check out. that balance online. <laughs> yeah. If not, I'll take it okay. and I'll search. Give it a try. Yeah, right. Thanks, Trevor. Yeah, no problem. Um, this is how I support you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so emotionally, just being present and not avoiding. When um, I had people often avoid me in the grocery store or at church, Jen's coming, phew, you right. know, and you're like, and totally. it, it, you already feel immensely alone in the situation. So just go up to them and give her a hug or give her a smile yeah. or just whatever. Just don't avoid. Just be with her in that um in that moment. And then physically, my friends were amazing. They took my kids out. They took them out shopping so we could all have Christmas gifts cool. um, that year. Um, I had friend, I had another friend that mentored my boys and took them skiing and another friend that bought some golf clubs. And was so we had, I had men step into their lives mm, that cool. were going to mentor and walk with them through that. Um, the church, we were in the middle of a remodel. The church came in and finished the remodel. Um, they helped me sell my home. I had people step in and um, help do a garage sale. Wow. Of course, the cleaning and the moving. And one really cool thing is when we moved into our place, um, I was so busy doing the garage sale part because we did it all at the same time, a garage sale and the yeah. move, that my friends had, unbeknownst to me, had taken all the boys', boys items and went to the place and made their rooms up perfectly cool. so by the time i That's got to the cool. house when i was moving the couches in their rooms were done posters are on the wall yep. curtains are up yeah, well, that's sweet. they have their own space it was like such a sweet gesture one of those things that i didn't have to worry about they just yeah. stepped mm-hmm. in and did it so mm-hmm. physically stepping in in those ways was huge then um the boys school they um they realized what we were going through so all the teachers and staff got together and decided on wednesday nights we will not um, assign any homework and we will make a meal for this, for this woman and wow. her kids. So every Wednesday night, my boys didn't have homework. They provided a meal so we could just be together. That's we cool. didn't have any stress. I mean, how cool for a, for a school to do that, yeah. to recognize a need and meet it in, in that way. 
And then, you know, even like the hospital, we were chosen as the family to support. Mm. Um, I guess there are some advantages to it being public. Seriously. We got a lot of Christmas presents that year, but but essentially what I what I my point is finding creative ways to mm-hmm. physically help somebody out. Yeah. Um was my the community excelled at that. So and then financially, um the church had set up a trust fund. So that because I was now a single mom with no education um, and no way to bring in money, really, um, the church set up a trust fund. And so they helped pay my mortgage um, and utilities, um, of course, like I said, gift cards. And then the bigger thing was they helped me stay out of debt. So um, I was able, people donated money to that Mm -hmm. fund. And then then I was able to live on that and go to school for two years. So... Which, interestingly, as you're sharing it, none of those things exactly have to do with what happened. They're more of finding other areas of your life mm-hmm. to help come alongside and support you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I just, I think about, uh, like, my wife is super good at that, way better than I am. I'm like, oh, let's just solve the problem. Let's get in. Let's do this. I'll, you know, whatever. But um, having people that are just like, you know what? You probably need your kitchen cleaned or mm-hmm. you need someone to help you do laundry, like even things like that. That is solving the problem, um, though. Could, yeah. Like, and that's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. And I like that. Be creative about how you support people. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So let's twist it then. Those are the helpful things. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what what are things that people did or tried to do that were least helpful in this situation? So a couple of least helpful things are, you must have known, didn't you? You you knew, didn't you? Wow. No, no, actually, I didn't know. I was actually completely clueless. And those that knew me knew that. But then you'd always have the naysayers that kind of would walk in and say, "Mm." and then I had people ask if I participated, if I I took a role in this. Um, So, Nick, I wanted to ask you this. You've used the term spiritual bypass, and tell me if this applies or not, or maybe you can kind of clarify. But someone also told me, you're going on a grand adventure with Jesus right now. Would that be an example of spiritually bypassing or not? I in maybe in the sense that it kind of disregards the pain you're in and the emotional yes. turmoil and just puts puts all the focus on well let's just get to that happy place mm-hmm. let's right. just see the good and in in that regard yes it it's not exactly what we mean by okay. it but it's an example I of I think it's an example of the way we try to over spiritualize people's yes. pain mm-hmm. yeah. we try to clean up the mess and sanitize it and just say yep. let's let's make this a happy shiny journey yeah right. and so in that regard yes that's very much what we try to yeah. do with our pain and other people's pain yeah it was interesting as you know people would send cards with a lot of scripture and in in those moments I didn't receive super well because I felt like they were over spiritualizing yeah the pain I was experiencing. But over the years, I've been able to go back and reread That's cool. through there. And it, Still it spoke ministers. to me. Yeah, yeah, it spoke to me in a completely different way. That's super cool. So, um, but yeah, those were some of the ways that just really weren't helpful. It's like we're trying to, and uh, I said this on a podcast uh, a little while ago, but that idea we're uncomfortable with watching people suffer. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we try to hurry them through it mm-hmm. so that we can feel okay. And what we're doing is either minimizing or moralizing their yes. pain. Yes. When um, it's it's interesting, I'm thinking of speaking of scripture when uh, it's very clear that suffering produces perseverance mm-hmm. and character. Um, 
but it doesn't say to hurry through suffering. Like if you could just put a highway through your suffering, then you can hurry and get to, what if it's the actual journey and the process of grieving and the process of normalizing what does life look like now? Mm -hmm. And then trying to set a different trajectory for where you're at. Maybe that's what gets you to character and to growth rather than let's just solve this as quick as we can, tie a bow and move on. Like that I just don't see any value in that approach. So good, Pastor Trevor. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No, no, I actually sincerely mean that. That's been my experience. People like do that. I do that consistently, which sucks. So a a question a little bit off the script, and you invited this, so I don't feel like I'm putting you on the spot. But (laughs) you you talked in this episode about having experienced uh, the date rape and then the completely Mm -hmm. being blindsided by your first husband's behavior. Um, and I only imagine there had to be some questions about God, why did all this happen? And maybe some, and some anger there. How do you feel you learn to trust again? Or how are you learning to trust after situations that had to just deteriorate your trust? Um, and I know if people listen to your stories of healing podcast, you and Dan talk about that a little bit, but just in light of the first marriage in particular, like what did it look like for you through those years uh, and I, because I imagine it was years to learn to trust people. You know, that's actually a very complicated question because ironically, I didn't have the questions of God, do you care about my kids? Because in that moment, it really came in my second marriage when I was truly leveled out, like, how did we get here? Hmm. And that's when I really questioned God, because in the first marriage, when all this took place, it was so grand. It was so big. And at that moment, um, I, I hadn't gone deep enough to really ask those questions. And so I did the Christian thing like I did when the pornography was first exposed. I, I was the good Christian. I was strong and people had me up on this pedestal. You're just so amazing. You're so strong. You're just, you know, so I played the role. So I don't think in the first marriage that, that I really even unpacked any of the unfairness of it. Yeah. Um, and quite honestly, when I, oh, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but I think I like the attention. There was a lot of attention I was getting, mm. a lot of ego stroking, a lot of support. Yeah. So I didn't really need to question anything because everyone around me was indicating that um, they were going to take care of me. So I didn't really feel mm. the the impact. But it was when things went south with Dan, everything that I'm probably should have been feeling in that first marriage Hmm. combined with my second marriage. That's when it leveled me. So that actually came, that piece came a little bit later and I don't, and that was when I questioned whether or not I even believed in God. Yeah. Yeah. And he was mean and he always wanted me in crisis because if I was in crisis, I would rely on him. And, you know, so my, my God complex really shifted really in my second marriage, but I'm sure it had absolutely everything to do with the trust yeah. issues. Many of us are there. Like many of us throughout our life and our suffering and the trauma we go through, we get to that place. Like really, you just want me in crisis all the time. Therefore, mm-hmm. that's the only way that mm-hmm. you can grow me. Or, right. Yeah. It's really easy to get to that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, I, or I think the the helpful advice I take out of that is many of us walk through things that just, they kind of overwhelm our senses and we don't know what to do. And so we just, we, we survive, mm-hmm. we get through it. Yep. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean we've processed in a healthy way yeah. what happened to us and what yeah. we experienced. And like we see in so many people's stories, it's going to catch up with us sooner or later. Yep. And, and so an encouragement, whatever situation you're in, mm-hmm. one of the things we're really big proponents of is you have to lean into it. You have to lean yes. into the pain. And yeah, it hurts, but but that's the way 
to health and growth and change is processing and going through it rather than just like, well, that was a big hairy mess. Let's just push that one away and move on with our life. It's still there. And so um, interesting how it came up then in your second marriage to deal with it. Oh, and I'm so glad it did because it brought me to a deeper, truer reality of who Christ is Mm. and his love for me. And I wish I had done it sooner, but I wasn't equipped at the time and didn't have the motivation at the time. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's ask the question that maybe isn't comfortable to ask, but is a reality for some people is, is what if a person um, has some fears Mm -hmm. or concerns that maybe their spouse or a a family member or even a close friend is involved in something illegal presently, or they fear that something illegal in their past hasn't come up? What should they do? Should they press into that and try to investigate, get the person to confess? Should they get legal advice? Should they just avoid it and pray that God exposes them? I, I think in our Christian circles, we get a lot of advice about, well, you know, God will, he'll, he'll, he'll expose their sin. You don't yeah. have to, but that seems like, well, if we're concerned about something, we should maybe do something. Yeah. So what would you say to a person just like, I, I'm, I have some concerns about a person in my life. What do I do? Sadly, we get this question weekly at yeah. Pure Desire. We get, we, this is not an, uh, uncommon thing that's taking place. So first of all, if, if you're going to ask directly, there's a good chance you're not going to get an honest answer. (laughs) In my experience, when someone's struggling with some sort of sex addiction, they're not typically super gung ho to, to be all open about that. They're living in avoidance. They're living in denial. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. Right. And, and I just might want to make it really clear. If you know, you you need to call the authorities. Um, I have a gal in one of my groups has become actually quite a good friend of mine. Um, she discovered something and, um, she had to call the authorities on her husband. And it was, she basically what she did is she called her mom and had her come pick up her children and then called the authorities and waited outside for the authorities to show up and Mm -hmm. had her husband arrested. And, um, wow. Really difficult situation, but yes. she knew, and she knew she had to do something, especially when it comes to minors. We have a moral obligation yeah. to step in and, and do something there. But um, by all means, seek legal counsel, Yeah. Um, for, even for yourself. Right. Um, let him deal with his own legal counsel issues, but seek legal counsel for yourself. Know what your rights are. Yeah. Um, there's victim rights advocates that can walk you through that process. Yeah. And... Um, so le- seeking legal counsel is super important for protecting you and your children and the, and the steps, you know, that goes into it. But past, so things that have passed, uh, um, happened in the past um, are still needing to be reported because there's no statutes of limitations on, on that. So, um, so understand that just because it happened in the past doesn't right. mean it doesn't get reported. And of right. course, we always encourage people to self-report, but... Um, if, if you know that abuse is taking place or you're suspicious that abuse is taking place, especially to a minor, mm-hmm. um, we have a moral obligation to tell that to an authority yeah. and then let them work out the details. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's just a reminder to all of us why, you know, our groups are not, you know, they are safe and confidential. But if something is brought up where there is 
um, abuse or violence towards vulnerable populations, minors in particular, but that could include elderly and disabled, that it, we are not, um, we are as groups mandatory reporters, that yes. that information needs yeah. to come out. And yep. I think the sentiment can be, oh, well, this, this would be so hard for them. I don't want it to hurt their you know reputation or their marriage mm -hmm. or their family, but we need to look at the flip side and say, but who am I protecting yeah. by needing to expose that? So yeah. yes, it might be very painful for that person, but if it helps protect others who are vulnerable, that's why, as you say, Jen, it's, it's a moral obligation to say that this needs to be reported. And I know it might suck for you, yes. <laughs> but it's the reality of you're facing your consequences. And that's really the only way we heal is when we have to face the music. And yeah. for some, it's just facing the truth that, yeah, I've been looking at pornography and others it may be right. they need to face harsher truth. But yeah. whatever it is, the, the pathway to healing for yeah. that person is the same. It's going to yeah. be facing the truth. Yeah. And dealing with consequences and, and then facing it so you can change. Yeah. yeah. You know, ironically, when my first husband was arrested, he um he had divulged more than than what he was actually originally being arrested for. And he had said, because we had seen him a, a few months after that, he had said it was the even though he was in prison, he felt so much relief because the weight of what he was carrying was yeah. so, so, totally. so heavy. And I think you hear that. Con consistently at any level yeah. you can hear that right yep i'm glad but, i was caught yeah yeah, yeah. Right. but one thing i want to mention before i forgot forget um there is have you heard of darkness to light training okay so check it out darkness to light i'm sure it's dot com i'll have to check that out well but, i'll research and put it in the show notes okay great um so darkness to light really helps take you through how to recognize um any type of minor being abused. And so, um, you know, the, the minors that were abused had amazing parents, very engaged, amazing parents. Um, but they were with somebody, my husband, who was trusting and kind and a part of kind of a part of the family. So, um, so it's easy to miss, even if you're the most diligent parent. So getting the training and understanding what yep. it looks like Anybody, yeah. even now that I have grown kids, I'm going to take the training as well because I want to understand what this has looked like in everyday life. Yeah. So getting that training is important mm. too. Yeah. I think another practical thing just to make sure people understand is they can contact us. Like mm -hmm. if that seems like an easier first step, this is stuff that we've seen. Um, some of our staff have even experienced it on both ends. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think this is something that we're happy to be a support and a help to kind of give you a path of what it may look like. Because that, like the idea of calling the authorities or even researching, what do I do? That can be really scary. Mm -hmm. um, but sending a, you know, a message or an email or a phone call uh, can really be maybe a good start as well. So yeah. just yeah. keep that in mind. Um, okay. So based on your experience, based on um, really this, this whole, this 15 year experience, being able to look back, what are some first steps? And let, let's be specific right now to women. If okay. you are a wife and your spouse um, has either been arrested or is going to prison for a sexual abuse or a sexually related issue, what are some first steps that that woman could take um, or should take? Okay. <laughs> um, first of all, just be aware and, and live in the moment. I think so often you kind of alluded to it with the scripture. We try to just just kind of fast forward and being in the moment, fully mm -hmm. accepting what's there and really going through that grieving cycle is an important part of where you are. Because I was a little bit detached from reality, which 
which now in hindsight, I, I wish I hadn't been because I could have been a better mom, um, certainly could have processed or maybe even avoided a lot of my own pain in the future had I been more present. So um, not stepping away from disassociating <laughs> from the reality is, is, is an important piece. You know, you really want to be aware and living in that moment. Let me ask this question then off that. Cause, uh, I, I have heard and have seen that in our response of going kind of numb is, is really a, f- almost in some ways is the Lord has set it up that that's almost a way to just survive in the moment sure. when something first happens. So if I'm hearing you right, it's not that don't feel shame because of that. Don't feel shame that if you do go numb and you have that emotional experience, but as things unfold and as it goes on, allow yourself to grieve, to feel those emotions don't stuff. Is that what I'm... That's exactly what I'm saying, because I think going numb is a tremendous gift from God. (laughs) (laughs) Right, which sounds weird, but it's... Oh, it's... That's what the limbic system does. Right. You know, it's a survival system. And you're right. But some of us have, will stick our head in the sand and won't deal with the bills, won't yeah, deal with yeah. the reality of what's Got around it. you because it's too much. And there there has to be a balance between enjoying that gift that God yeah. has given us yeah. and engaging in the true reality that doesn't take you to a deeper place that, that can be harder in the long run. Yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, sure. Um, so also prepare for different responses. Know that, that <sighs> not everyone is processes... Yeah the same way that you do or, right. you know, you're, that you're going to gain some friends and, and um, you're probably going to lose some. Mm. And um, that's okay. God's got it covered. He's going to, uh, he knows who needs to be in your life for that for that moment in time. Mm. Um, make a budget. Of, try to avoid going into debt if you can. Of course, I had this amazing support, but not everyone had the support that I had. However, there are resources. Um and um, that was one of the things that was super frustrating for me at the time because I didn't have, I didn't know how to go to school and get financial aid because we were going off of my husband's tax record. Yeah. So I didn't qualify for anything, even though I had no money. So I couldn't, there, there are ways to get help. So yeah. um, look, at, dive into what the resources are. Um, there, there are definitely some out there. Self-care, um, eating and sleeping are a huge piece of, Gosh, yeah. um, of, surviving. (laughs) And, um, so doing things that are, that are healthy for you, make a plan to tell people, um, you'd be surprised at how off, how thrown off you can get when you actually don't make a plan to tell people. So set in, set in line, how the groups of people that you're going to tell and how you're going to tell them and how much you're going to tell them, especially Mm -hmm. if it's not super public, you don't have to share everything with everyone. Not everyone's in the arena with you. And don't feel like you have to do that part, the making a plan alone. Like right. have somebody that's a trusted advocate with you to help yes. create that plan. Yeah, very good. Yes, yes. Um, find support. A grief counselor um, is huge. Um, mm. Finding support for your children um, is huge. Although my kids did not like counseling, they now see the benefit, but they did not <laughs> like it at the time. Does um, anybody really like counseling when they're I getting do. it? I do. I love it. Oh, now. Okay. Okay. Um, and then later on, um, you know, maybe not initially, but um, join the Betrayal and Beyond group. I'm telling you, this was huge for me to understand the brain and how my how my husband, who was a great dad, did the things that he did. And it doesn't justify anything he's done, but the understanding gives you a little bit of footing, gives you something concrete to hold on to. Mm-hmm. So the betrayal and beyond um, material is excellent when you're ready to get to that point to, to process at that level. Yeah. And then um, last but not least, establishing... Rhythms and routines that are 
that are just normal, especially for the kids. You know, um, everything, your their whole world is out of whack. Everyone's whole world is out of whack that's been affected by that. So establishing routines and rhythms yep. that um, are normal. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. we would go to Barnes & Noble on Friday nights, read books and drink hot chocolate. Yeah. It, so it became this rhythmic, it was the one thing they could control, the yeah. one thing they could count on when, when the emotions were everywhere. The right. one thing we could count on was daily routine so well and, and what you're doing at that point too is you're investing in your family yeah. that even though you've had this thing you're still trying to have fun and connect right. with your kids right. which is i mean they're just as much a victim of what happened the mm-hmm. out you know the basically the fallout of all the stuff yeah. they're feeling trauma too yeah i feel like it's no parent sets out to forget their kids but yeah. i think it is something that we see happen no well, and, and just the reality that life goes on. And I don't mean that in like a harsh, you know, buck up and forget it yeah. way. I mean, in the truth of you do see situations where someone is so devastated by what happened, they stay stuck there really to the detriment of their kids. And, and that becomes the family story of, well, mm. you know, dad ended up in prison and mom never recovered. And so yeah. we grew up without a mom or a dad. And yeah, and wow. so to say, if, if you're in that place, life goes on for you and your kids or and your family and, and to say how can we do this mm-hmm. the best way possible yeah it's it's not going to change what happened yeah. but we need to rebuild the best we can and i think staying present making those routines i mean a lot a lot of great help there uh, and so jen we appreciate you sharing so much of your story being open uh, a podcast like this i can see being one that many people listen to and appreciate, but it becomes one that gets shared because they hear, oh my goodness, uh, I have a friend going through this. Mm-hmm. Or when they hear the story, they're going to recommend this podcast. And what that means is there are likely people listening who this was shared with them by a friend or a family member who they're in the middle of this or they're on the front end of it. So what what kind of encouragement could you give to a woman experiencing a similar situation? What would you want to tell her uh, that you would have wanted to hear 15 years ago? Simply that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Um, there's going to be days where you feel like you can't get out of bed, and um, you. But it's it's going to be okay. Just one step in front of the other. Um, I what was encouraging for me was someone telling me you you have what it takes to be a good mom through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, knowing that others have gone before me. Yeah. You reach out. We're here. That's what we're here for. We share these stories to let you know that you're not alone and you don't have to walk this alone. And so um, while those things probably hold a limited amount of encouragement, any amount of encouragement is important to a woman who's been in the shoes that I've been in. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to be bigger. It doesn't need to be made smaller. It just needs to be there. Just let me know I'm going to be okay. And then I'm going to nail this mom thing. I can do this mom thing through all this chaos. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I just, I really would echo. That's the whole reason why we did this episode is just so that people understand that you're not alone, that this is not something you have to do on your own. And it's not something that you're the only person in all of humanity to have to go through it. Um, It sucks and it's super hard. Um, But even just the time we've spent with you, Jen, like your life now after processing it, like learning, growing yourself, like life is completely different. Like your relationship with the Lord, what you get to do is, is different. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that it's often easy as especially followers of Jesus to say things like that in order to kind of justify the bad, Mm -hmm. the bad is the bad. 
But what's amazing about the Lord is that he doesn't just let the bad stay bad, yeah. that he can reuse it. Absolutely. But we also have to partner in that yes. and take those steps yeah. forward. Yeah. The, the reminder for me as I hear your story, and I think it applies, you know, whether we're in the middle of the chaos of disclosure or the breakdown of a relationship yeah. or something legal going on, is that you are in a chapter of your story and, and you don't have to like it. And it may be <laughs> the worst chapter in your book, yeah. but to remember that it is a chapter. And it's not yes. the end of the story, right. and the story will still be written. Yeah. And and by God's grace and with his help, you have incredible, uh, I say control, but I don't mean that in a controlling way. I just mean you you have a lot of influence over what the next chapters will yes, say you do. by how you respond to this chapter. Yeah, that's and good. So sometimes it's helpful for all of us just to be able to look at our life and go, okay, this is a chapter, and, and we don't have to like it, but there will be chapters coming that are going to read a whole lot better, and it really makes a difference in how we respond to this chapter. And so I hope for listeners, uh, they they hear a lot of encouragement from your story. They know we're here to reach out to and and for all of us to remember, I'm not alone because I think that's the enemy's weapon. He says, you're alone, you're the only one. And, and that's never true, <laughs> no matter what your story is or yes. how odd or messy it seems. Many have walked this road and many have found that there is hope and freedom on the other side. And we don't just mean that in a glittery, happy, you know, right. pretend it's all good kind of way. We mean because we've seen the experience that it, it may take time. It may even be a number of years before you feel like it's good again, yep. but it will come. And, yeah. and if we have that hope, then we can keep taking those steps one day at a time towards that that better future. Yeah. God's faithful. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Mm. So this is a really difficult topic. Uh, it's sticky. Um, it's really, really uncomfortable to talk about, but that's why we wanted to have Jen share her story, understanding that really the depths of sexual addiction can impact others and how we respond, whether the one we're the one going through it or we're a friend watching this happen can be so important. So Jen, thanks for sharing your story and me. being so honest. <laughs> that's really hard to do. Uh, if you are in this situation or sexual addiction has affected you in any way, Pure Desire is here to help create a roadmap for your healing. If you or someone you know is looking for help, you can go to our website, puredesire.org, and start your healing journey today. And also, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, we're having conversations like this all the time, and we continue to push into this. So share it with friends and family, uh, write a review, it'll help other people find the podcast. And lastly, never stop being healthy. Here's what's coming up next week on the Pure Desire podcast. Every woman that takes a breath, this is going to be one of our best resources that we've ever put out. They're wanting to be married. They're wanting to be sexual. And they're saying, what does this even look like? Is it even okay to have these discussions? I think that's one of the things that's interesting about women who struggle is that we don't take good care of ourselves. Right. We, we are the last person, and sometimes we are taking care of everybody else, but we're the last person that we take care of. And that, I think, is my favorite part about these resources.